Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders and help them build and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us. My name is Leo Sabo, and I am your host for today's conversation. On today's episode of Stewardship Leader, I'm joined by my friend Blair Graham, the pastor of Stewardship and Generosity at the Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Blair, welcome. Leo, thank you. It's great to be with you today. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you because I know your personal story about uh, where you've been over the last few years in this ministry, and, and I'm just excited to have some of our listeners benefit from some of the things that you've learned, some of the things that you've done, some of the great things that you guys are doing at the Summit Church in the area of stewardship. And I think it's going to be a very, very valuable 30 or so minutes, uh, and I hope that our listeners uh, agree with me. So let's start, Blair, with your personal story. You and I met quite a few years ago, but you have a story before you actually got into ministry. So why don't you share that with the audience? Tell us, how did God bring you into this role as a stewardship pastor? Yes, Leo. So um, maybe like a lot of the listeners on this podcast, I kind of grew up with a real passion for personal finance and uh, really got into reading like the Rich Dad, Poor Dad books when I was a kid and just really loved the idea of personal finance. And in fact, that led to this, um, really, I'll just call it kind of belief that if I was going to be wealthy and successful, that I would be happy and fulfilled. And that was really my life's ambition was to be financially um, wealthy and successful. And I ended up pursuing uh, finance as a major, went to law school, met my wife in college. She was a doctor to be. And so we moved to North Carolina uh, as a freshly minted lawyer. And my wife was a doctor. And seemingly we had life figured out. We were making a bunch of money, um, going to all the fancy restaurants and bought a new house and a new car. And surely, Leo, this would make me happy and fulfilled. But about a year into that journey, um, I had, we had not been to church in a long time. I would have told you I was a Christian, but I had no personal relationship with God. I wasn't living my life for God. Um, in this kind of season of just feeling empty, we said, hey, we're going we're gonna to go find some purpose and meaning. And we said, we're going to start volunteering in the community with the Special Olympics. My wife was going to join the Junior League. And we said, hey, we're Christians and one day we'll have kids and they need to know about uh, Jesus and church. So we should find a church. And uh, mm -hmm. we knew we had no clue where to go. Um, some people we met that we found out were Christians. We asked them where we should go. And surprisingly, they said, hey, don't go to our church, but go to this church called the Summit Church. And uh, they said <laughs> they heard amazing things. Yeah, we, we showed up at the Summit January 5th of 2008. And we heard this message, unlike anything we had ever heard before about yeah. Jesus and his desire to have a God's desire to have a personal relationship with us through, through Jesus. We saw people worshiping in a way that we had never encountered. Um, and we just felt kind of a presence, like something was happening in this place. We got invited to a small group, Leo. And uh, that night at the small group, we just observed that these people had something we didn't have. They had this, um, this faith, this hope, this 
relationship that we wanted. And so after candidly, you know, several weeks, we, we recognized that we actually weren't Christians and that we wanted to surrender our lives to Jesus and experience this. And so that was kind of my, my journey to becoming a Christian. And what's so relevant about that as a lead in to how I got involved in the stewardship ministry is right after I became a Christian, our pastor preached on the topic of generosity and he preached out of Malachi chapter three. And in Malachi chapter three, um, the Lord says to, to bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that if we're not honoring God with that full tithe, that we're actually robbing God. And he said to test him in this. And he says, test me in this and see if I won't open the, the windows of heaven to the point that there's no need and to rebuke the devourer. Mm-hmm. And the pastor very clearly just said, hey, if you've never done this, you know, test God and try it. And so um, Leo, I went to my wife and I said, Hey, you know, we've never given. In fact, we were really stingy because any dollar I gave away, Leo was a dollar I didn't have to build my, my, my mission statement, right. Of, of wealth. Yeah. And, uh, my wife said, Hey, I, I fully trust you with whatever you want to do. And, and we went from kind of non-givers to tithers overnight. But the thing that was so remarkable is two weeks later, Leo, I had this revelation that I had not checked my bank account or my retirement accounts in two weeks. And for some of us, like when, when my identity was wrapped up in my money and my wealth and my security and that, um, God just kind of showed me in that moment, hey, you can trust me and not your finances. And so that began this journey that my wife and I have personally been on um, around generosity. And uh, kind of a, a couple months later, I saw in the bulletin that there was a class that was offered at our church, Leo, um, it was a crown financial ministry class on getting out of debt and having a budget and a plan. And I said, wait a minute, <laughs> I know all about personal finance. Let me go get involved. And by the grace of God, one of the elders was was leading that class. And uh, he pulled me aside and said, hey, I would love to help you learn about this and allow you to participate. And he really started to personally disciple me mm-hmm. um, in stewardship and generosity through this class and kind of, you know, ended up ended up kind of serving with him leading under him, learning from him. And eventually I found myself kind of co-leading this ministry kind of several years down the road. And that was kind of my entry point into stewardship ministry. Wow. Well, that, that story will preach my friend. That's, that's, that's a great, great story. I think there's some similarities that I just want to touch on. So many of us have that encounter with God where we're building our own kingdom, we're building our own barns, and then God just brings about this, opportunity for us to to understand and to see the truth. And as we do that, we can see ourselves for who we really are. And then we realize, man, we're, we're not okay. Like, we need more than this. We need God. And so I'm so grateful that, that God met you there. I'm grateful that you walked this path. Um, and I'm grateful that you're at the summit, because I know, I know the things that are going on over there, and I know the things that you guys are involved in personally. So very excited for you uh, because of the season that you're in. Now, let's talk a little bit about as you got into the stewardship ministry. You mentioned this this elder that mentored you, brought you about. How did you transition from being a, an attorney into a stewardship pastor? Tell us that story. Yeah, great question. So really kind of as a new believer and as someone that was growing and, and learning in my faith quite a bit, um, I really began wrestling with what it meant to be fully all in for Jesus So probably a question that a lot of people have, which is, if I'm really sold out for Christ, can I be in the marketplace? Can I be an attorney? Can I be a businessman? Or do I need to be a missionary or a pastor? 
or how do I navigate that? And I read a really formative book in my life called Radical by a guy named David Platt. Mm-hmm. And one of the challenges in that book was to go on a mission trip. And at the time, um, I was I kind of transitioned out of law into commercial real estate brokerage and uh, kind of didn't think I'd be able to go on a mission trip because I was running my own business, but really felt like I needed to do that. And on that trip, God really affirmed for me the value of being a business leader that was faithfully living on mission for Christ in Mm -hmm. business. And so I said, hey, God, you called me into business. This is what I have a greater confidence on after this mission trip. And uh, at the time, again, I had just been kind of leading these crown financial ministry classes. We had started to do some financial peace university classes at our church. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was leading those and our church got to a crossroads where they said, hey, we believe that God is calling us to more intentionally disciple and lead our church in stewardship and generosity. That's and so awesome. we were launching a, yeah, we were launching a new generosity initiative. Um, it was going to be a two-year initiative. And the executive pastor said, hey, I don't have the time or space or margin to run this big stewardship initiative. And instead of paying like a consultant or somebody to run it for us, the, the elders said, hey, why don't we bring on a pastor to help run this and then start to build out a stewardship ministry at our church? Mm-hmm. And so they approached me. I mean, it was kind of, I remember the conversation. It was like, hey, this is going to feel like it's coming out of left field, this whole conversation. And, and it did. Um, but they said, we really feel like God is calling us to disciple our church in this. And we feel like God may um, have given you the gifts and the abilities to really lead out and serve our church. And you know, candidly, Leo, when you are, when you've left a, a, a career like the law field mm-hmm. to go start a business as a commercial real estate broker, and by the grace of God, that's going well, and you go on a mission trip, you get affirmation, this is where God wants you. And then when your church approaches you and said, hey, we think God's calling you to be a pastor, it can be a little disorienting. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Lord just made it very clear after a series of time that this was what he called me to. And so I said yes to that. And I started as the full-time steward first Stewardship and Generosity Pastor here at the Summit Church in October of 2012. So that was when I started, and that was kind of how I got in to this mm-hmm. ministry. Wow. We, we didn't have a roadmap. We didn't have a plan. We didn't exactly know what that meant other than we were trying to execute a two-year generosity initiative, and that was kind of going to be one part of the foundation. Yeah, You know, there's something very unique about your story because there's not many church leaders that— don't just want to do a capital campaign, that they actually said, we want to build out a stewardship, a discipleship ministry that focuses on this area of of finances. And I think that's unique. Uh, I know there are pastors out there, there's many of them, pastors that I have had for years, of course, Pastor Robert gets it. And many, many of the people that, um, that we know, their senior pastor gets it. That's why they have a stewardship ministry. But I think the thing that you and I have seen over the years is how many senior leaders and how many stewardship minded people really kind of struggle with how can I get my senior pastor or my executive senior team to understand the value of this. And the fact that your team saw that and reached out and said, let's find somebody to do this. That's very unique. Uh, that's usually not the way it goes. It usually goes the other way around. Somebody's knocking on the door and saying, hey, this is important. We should be doing this. And they finally come around to it. So very excited because that means that your church got it. And as soon as they got it, they hired someone, and now, of course, they continue to support it because it came from them. They got it, and I think that's really, really cool. So tell me about the initial first few days of the ministry. What, what I know you were doing some crown classes already, so there was already some kind of momentum, some kind of program going. Then you said you were doing some FPU. Tell us about the first year to two years. What was it like? 
how did you approach doing the ministry? Did you have some help? Did you reach out? Did you get some some counseling from somebody or some help from some other people that were doing it? Tell us about that. Yeah. So it is a uh, it's kind of that really odd, awkward moment when you start a new job, right? Mm-hmm. And you show up and you start looking around and you're like, is someone going to tell me what to do? Right? <laughs> what yeah. exactly am I supposed to do here? That's and good. so I had kind of some some marching orders and a vision but I did not have a strategy or a plan on what to do. And uh, really just in an amazing way of how God works, I found out that in our town, there's another uh, another church um, that had actually a stewardship leader. And so I got connected um, to a guy named Derek Sisterhen, Mm -hmm. who was at a a local church here called called Hope Community Church. And uh, I said, hey, you're I hear you're running a stewardship ministry. Can we talk? He was gracious to, to have lunch with me. And during that meeting, I mean, I just had a, a page full of notes to learn everything I could. But the most valuable thing he said, and it's just kind of funny in retrospect, um, thinking back on it, he said, Blair, um, it is, I think it might have been at the time, it was probably like, you know, December of, of that year. Mm-hmm. He said, whatever you're doing in two months, you need to be in Dallas, Texas with me for a conference for this event that gets held called the Christian Stewardship Network Forum. And I said, Derek, that's like, two months away and I don't have funding or anything. He said, what, you got to be here. This is, this has changed my, my ministry. And, and so I kind of went back, I made plans. We worked it out for me to get there. And I, I think I've been roomed with Derek. He just said, Hey, you can stay in my room for free. Let me keep the cost as low as possible. And Leo, that, that completely changed the direction, the trajectory, the plan for the summit Church's stewardship ministry, because during those couple few days that I was in Dallas for the Christian Stewardship Network Forum, I was able to sit and learn from people that had been in stewardship ministry like yourself and Dave Briggs and Chris Goulard and Gunnar Johnson and all these guys that I had never heard of that had been doing this for, for a decade or for 20 years. Um, and it was so liberating. Um, scripture is clear. Proverbs, it says, there is safety and an abundance of counselors. Yeah. And one of the things that was so amazing is I, I went into that space and, and I remembered even one of the panels was on epic fails. And part of what was shared is like, hey, these were ideas that we had that we thought were good ideas that were really bad. They like they failed terribly. Right. <laughs> and there's so much safety and learning from others. And then getting that experience to say, hey, what worked for you, Leo? What worked for you, Gunnar? Chris, what worked for you? And so I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, overtly play, come to the CSN forum, but I am. When people say, how do I build a stewardship ministry? I say, this is the thing that completely changed our church um, for a stewardship ministry, and I would highly commend it to you. Um, and so that was a very, very formative thing for me to come um, to, the, to the forum. And so I'd commend it to you as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, CSN meant so much to me when I first started back in 2006. I went to the 2007 forum, and I mean, I had no idea that there were so many people. Now, still wasn't a lot back then. It was maybe 30 or 40 or so, uh, and half of them were were people from Crown or from Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey's organization. So there were people from uh, different organizations that were creating curriculum. So some of them were what we would call vendors or sponsors, but a lot of them that I got to meet uh, back then helped me because they became my lifeline. They were the people that I would say, hey, I'm doing this and it's not working. Can you, you know, do you have any ideas? And it always helped because most of these guys were just a few years ahead of me. 
So I was literally avoiding like big landmines by learning from them and then taking what I learned from them and even taking some curriculum. I mean, Dave Briggs has been instrumental to helping me to have a successful coaching ministry. I worked for three and a half years trying to make it work and it was okay, but it was not in my mind successful. And I talked about that in other podcasts, but it was my conversation with him and finding out that seven years earlier, he was walking the same exact path I was and had come to the same conclusion. But the only difference is that he had time to solve the problem. And so because he created a solution for it, now, instead of me trying to create the same thing, which I already had started, uh, he just gave me the content. And he's like, if you do this and you do it this way, this is going to change the success that you're having. And I thought, great, I'll come get it. I got it. And it literally changed the way we were doing ministry. And I just want to emphasize what you said is CSN is not just about this event. It's the relationship. Yes, that two and a half day event is very intense. There's a lot of information a lot of relationships that are being built, but it's that relationship that we have with each other that helps us as we walk this road out. Because it's not its not like youth ministry, it's not like children's ministry. There's just not that many resources out there. So CSN is a great resource. There's great people that are involved in it. And I, I just want to, again, say the same thing as you do. We highly recommend you attend this forum coming up in March of 2020. It'll be in Louisville, Kentucky, and we'd love to have you there. If you're a stewardship leader or you're interested in this topic and you're even listening to this, I think you'll, you, it's like a family reunion. You realize you're home. So love to have you there. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive back in into those initial initiatives that you had at the church. And then what was the experience like? What did you gain in those first uh, years or so as you were learning about and even getting information from other stewardship leaders through the CSN? What did you use? How did it work? And then what changes did you need to make a year or two years into the program? Yeah. The first thing that happened was I was on a quest. You know, you talked about finding the best resource or finding the right resources and just there weren't a ton in the stewardship ministry. And so I kind of had thought, Leo, in my mind that there must be one perfect class, right? There's one class that we need to really implement at the Summit Church. And mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. what was so helpful is at the forum, because it was a conversation, I got to engage um, Dave Briggs kind of on that topic. And I said, Dave, I'm trying to find the perfect class. You know, what is it? We're doing this one class here. We're having some challenges. And uh, he, he kind of gave this analogy to me that was so helpful at the time. He said, think about um, what you need when you're playing golf, right? You have a bag of golf clubs. And he said, every club in your bag is useful for a certain thing. So when you're, when you're on the tee and you're driving the ball, um, you're going to use your driver for that. You're probably not going to use your five iron, right? You're not going to use your putter. Um, when you get to the green, you need a putter. You don't need your, your three wood, right? And uh, he said, I want you to think about that with stewardship classes. He said, for example, Financial Peace University does a phenomenal job at engaging people with the emotional aspect of money, right? right. Um, right. It, it's going to have some really practical things. It's going to help you deal with the emotional side of money. That's a really good golf club to have in your bag, right? That's a good thing that's going to serve a lot of people in your church. He said, um, Crown Financial Ministry does a phenomenal job getting at the heart of what does God's word say about personal finance. And so that may be a good club to have in your bag. And so that was very freeing, Leo, to be able to navigate that. Um, and so that proved to be just an invaluable learning for me because kind of coming out of the forum, um, like you said, it was a fire hose of information coming at me. You just don't know what to do. And in some ways you can feel very defeated, like, yeah. Man, I just talked to these stewardship ministry leaders who have been doing it for a decade, and they've got all these classes, and they have this plan, and 
I've got one class and I don't know what to do next. Mm. And uh, I really just kind of made this commitment going there and saying, what's maybe one or two small things I can do that I could take away from this and that I could go back and apply it at our church. And really we've just had that mindset of if we could apply one or two things each year and improve it and make it better and then do those things consistently that we're going to eventually build out a really effective ministry to serve our church. And so that's kind of how it started at the beginning was, was picking a small thing, having some freedom to do that and, and then take some chances on mm-hmm. things based on what I'm learning from other churches. That's great. There's a lot of wisdom in what you just said, because I think there is this desire for us to hit the ground running. We always somewhat feel like we're so behind that we're not going to, especially if we're at a large church, it's so hard. How are we going to reach 10,000 people, right? And we are looking for that one thing that we can offer to 3,000 people at one time. But in reality, it's an unrealistic thing to think that you're going to have 3,000 people in a room and every single one of them is going to get exactly what they need from one curriculum. It doesn't matter how fantastic it is. People are different. They're in different seasons. They have different emotional things that they're going through. And finances and emotion and the practical side and the biblical side, all of that plays into it. So I love that that you said, yes, I could be overwhelmed. There's so much content information I learned and I could feel defeated. But yet you said, you know, I'm just going to be faithful with what I have. And I'm going to build it over time. And that's good advice for people starting this ministry. Or even if they started a year or two or three years ago, just build it. Learn and continue to build it. That's exactly what I did at Gateway. I tried stuff, and when it didn't work, I stopped doing it, and I tried something else. But you have to resist that temptation to try to reach everybody at once. Build something that will stand. And I think if you build a good foundation and you build it systematically and intentionally, you'll have a ministry that's actually going to impact the culture. It's not, uh, hey, this great class, that's great marketing, and then it just kind of fizzles out and nobody's life really changes. I love that you brought that up because that's such an important part of building a healthy stewardship ministry. All right, so share some of the major challenges that you had. Of course, you were building this thing, so I'm sure you had some failures, unfortunately, because we all do. So talk about some of the changes that were going on in the ministry. How did you go through those? How did you keep the ministry culturally relevant and impactful so that it eventually became a cultural part of the church. Yeah, that's great. So one of the things that that I kind of assumed, Leo, as a new stewardship ministry leader was I could look at a great class that was working really well at another church, right? Maybe a class at Gateway or a class at a different church and say, hey, this is the playbook. It's been tried and true. Let me just apply it to what we're doing and take it and, and plug it in. And the thing that happened to us is there was a time at our church where classes were something that we did with more regularity, but there, there just became this great shift away from people at our church wanting to come to a weekly class and really kind of everything getting pushed into a small group ministry model. Mm. Um, and so that just created a new challenge of how do you get this content and this teaching to members of our church that want to grow, but they're not willing to come out for, um, for kind of a weekly commitment. And, and let me give you a great example. Um, Trish Crosley, who at the time was serving um, in New Hope Church's stewardship ministry, she was serving there, leading there. She developed this phenomenal budget workshop. And I said, man, this is great, right? This is kind of the financial bedrock of, uh, of a foundation starting point for people is to learn how to budget. I said, we don't have a tool. We're going to work that. We, we took her tool. She said, hey, you can have it, you know, use it, do whatever you want. And uh, we, we applied it we could not get people to come out to this budgeting workshop. I mean, 
the people that came are like, man, the content's great and this is so helpful. But the fact that people weren't coming, we said, we've just got to scrap this. Like this is not resonating for whatever reason with our culture. Um, and so that, that was a pivot and a change we had to make that I didn't anticipate. Um, the other big thing that we've had to develop and, and modify to fit in with our culture here at the summit is we had to find ways to leverage technology to engage our people with stewardship, teaching, and education um, in ways that we had never done so before. And so kind of the ways that, that we've done that, Leo, is one is we realized that there was some really great content that was out there for stewardship articles and different posts that were coming out. But we said, what if we curate that content? What if we try and assemble the most relevant content that we're finding and use it as a, as a tool to disciple our church with? And so we created this tool called the Stewardship Digest, which is kind of a, a stewardship newsletter. It goes out once a month, and it's become a very effective way for us to engage our members, to serve the greater stewardship community as we curate those content, and then for us to be able to put out our own articles. And so that's been a big way. And then a second way that we've done that is we've tried to leverage things like our current online giving platform. And we realized that when someone gives a gift on online gift, we had the ability to edit or modify the email receipt that went out. And we said, what if every email receipt, maybe every couple of weeks, every three weeks, we modified that said, because of your generosity, right? You just gave a gift because of your generosity, this thing happened, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe that was um, all of these kids got to go to, to camp and learn about Jesus and people came to faith. Maybe we were able to launch a new campus because of their generosity. And so that has become an amazing medium to be able to communicate in a succinct way to make the connection of because of your generosity, God is doing these things. Mm -hmm. And so those are kind of two ways with technology that we've really tried to be able to integrate into our members' lives, um, in the spaces that they are when we couldn't get them to come out to a class. That's really good. Leveraging this action of people giving and then recognizing it, not in a way that says, hey, thanks for the gift, but actually to help them see that their gift wasn't just given and went into this void somewhere, and hopefully it did some good, but actually saying, because of your gift, this is what happened. So many of us that are uh, generous, that we not only give to our church on a regular basis, but even go beyond that, I think a lot of times the people that are asking for these funds forget to say, hey, here's what happened with what you gave. And I think that would motivate us to give even more. So you guys have leveraged that in a way that not only continues to develop this generosity in people, but also lets them know there's a ministry specifically designed to help you in this area. Not just to be generous, but even to manage money and to learn about legacy and learn about you know setting a, an estate plan in place and so many other things that your ministry now can do, and it's not just to people who are broken financially. It's for anybody. Right. So I, I love the way you guys leverage that. And just the other thing that you mentioned, the Stewardship Digest is something that I subscribe to, and I love when I get it because it's it's not just your stuff. It's stuff that you guys also take from different areas uh, you know, throughout the uh, the U.S., and so sometimes I, it brings on an article that I would have missed, but you, you bring it in, I get to read it because it was from another church or another organization, and and I love that, that you guys are sharing that, not just with your stewardship community, but with the church, with the whole church. And so that makes it relevant and cultural, and uh, that's just fantastic. Tell me a um, situation where things didn't go as you planned, and what did you do to, uh, to meet that challenge, especially in the area of building a ministry, maybe related to volunteers, and just this transition from 
doing classes into more of how do we create things to put into small groups? Yeah. So I would say that one of the biggest challenges that I had as a brand new stewardship pastor was getting other people to lead alongside me, right? Mm. So it's really challenging to release control and actually empower other people um, to go out and lead. And so I didn't have a very good framework um, for how to think about doing that. And probably one of my biggest failures in ministry, honestly, was bringing on a person that was not qualified to lead. And what I mean by that is there was a, a gentleman that I was, you know, seemed highly competent in stewardship, right? Was a CFO, knew all the right things. He knew how to do things. He was older than me, seemed more spiritually mature, but there were always kind of some yellow flags or, or warnings that I was sensing about some of his just kind of his past with his character and some things that I didn't quite pick up on. And in a lot of ways, I just said, hey, let me give him grace mm -hmm. and let's just bring him on and give him, a, give him the chance to lead. Well, it turned out that this gentleman ended up using this kind of platform for ministry to really elevate himself mm. and to talk about almost kind of put himself in a position like, I know everything and you should come to me. And, and it just was very evident very quickly that this was the wrong person in the role. And so fortunately, somebody uh, in, that, in that class kind of notified me of that and um, we were able to make the transition. But the thing I learned, kind of the big lesson on that is there's a tendency in stewardship ministry to assume that if someone is competent or really smart financially or with numbers, mm -hmm. that they're the right person that you want to have serving or leading in the ministry. And, and that was just candidly the wrong approach. We're very much looking for somebody that loves Jesus and has a heart for discipleship. We can teach them how to do a budget. We can teach them the principles of stewardship, but I cannot teach someone to love Jesus and to walk faithfully with him and have the character that you need to be able to serve and lead in the stewardship ministry. And so that was a big, that was kind of a big fail. And then that gave me some caution with how do I actually create a framework for inviting people in to serve. And so that's kind of led us down a journey of establishing some guidelines and a real intentional plan on how we invite leaders in. And so now I have a lot more freedom because we actually do have guidelines and requirements that give me the ability to know that I have guardrails up and it's not just based on a gut instinct or a feeling. Does that oh, make yeah. sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, and I've been there myself. And if you're a stewardship leader out there, if you've not experienced something like that, unfortunately, I'm, I have to admit that you probably will just because not everybody understands the heart behind what we do. And because money can be so deceptive, sometimes we don't realize that it's either pride that comes up or a desire for more. And sometimes our volunteers haven't worked through those things. But here's what I believe. I believe that when they come to us as leaders of these ministries, we have an opportunity to disciple them, not just use them, right? It's not about bringing volunteers in to do the work because you're too busy to do it all yourself. God has entrusted you with these lives and just know that they're not fully there. None of us are. We haven't arrived yet. So I took it as a personal responsibility to make sure that they were okay. And by that, I meant I stayed close enough to make sure that they're okay, not just in their families and in their health and in their commitment to the church, because I didn't want them to burn out. But also, I was more concerned about their heart and their soul than I was about, are you meeting my responsibility obligations that I'm giving you? Well, right. that, great. I want them to be a partner, but I want them to also be a healthy individual that's that's walking alongside us. So 
yeah, we all have to deal with that from time to time. And I've had the same issue. But like you said, we next time you become a little bit more aware of it and you avoid it altogether because you got policies in place and you got language and even your training, I'm sure, has changed to where you you talk about that right at the front end so that people are not tempted to say, oh, this is a way that I can leverage this for my own benefit, whatever that may be. Instead, you say, no, if you're coming here, you're coming here with a heart to serve and you're coming here to to love Jesus and love people. So that, that way it's clear. And, and the people who are not interested in that, well, they're just going to go away. You know, and, that, and that's, that's a good right. thing, right? Because then we keep the ones that do want to help. Well, as we close, I've got one more question for you, and this could be a very long one. So take a little bit of time and just hit on a couple of highlights here. But share something that would be of a benefit to a new stewardship leader and potentially a church leader that hasn't really fully understood yet the need for a stewardship ministry that would change the culture and embrace that ministry within uh, their church. Share some nuggets that, that would help these two individuals. Sure. Yeah, I've got three that I would give you just okay. kind of coming to me right now. So the first one would be, um, and we talked about this on the front end of the podcast, commit to attending the CSN forum this March in Louisville, Kentucky. That will not only change the shape of your ministry, but that will give you an opportunity to really learn from other churches that are doing it well and others that are struggling, how you could apply this directly to your church. The big learning that I've had in that is don't come alone. Don't come to this alone. Bring a volunteer, bring a fellow staff member. That will give you someone else with excitement around this and then also give you accountability to apply these things and to take a next step. So that's huge. Come to the forum. The second thing I would tell you, and and we've tried to do this through our Stewardship Digest, is leverage the great resources that already exist. Mm. Um, So CSN is committed to this podcast. They're committed to the blog post and the resource list that that the team has put together. Take advantage of that. Those are ways that you can learn. You can go to one place and easily find stuff. This Stewardship Digest that the Summit Church puts out, if that's valuable to you, subscribe to it. And anything that's helpful for your church, take it, make it your own. You don't need to give us credit. The, The point is we're just trying to share and to teach others. And so use that, find resources like that that exist and use them to disciple and and encourage your church with. And then the third one is I would look for current ways in your existing, what, what we call our stewardship system, that you can engage and disciple your church in stewardship and generosity. And so like low hanging fruit might be this online giving receipt idea. You probably already have online giving at your church see if there's an ability to modify the receipts. That's a real simple way to do it. Another thing is look at your church's online giving page. What does that look like? Are there ways to incorporate some stewardship teaching or resources or tools there? Maybe that's an easy thing to do. Another thing to think about is, you know, what does your church do for somebody that gives a first-time gift or maybe a big gift? Do you send them a thank you? Do you have any intentional process? Do something with that, right? These are people that are already telling you, hey, I'm interested in stewardship and generosity, right? I'm giving to the church and thank them and encourage them. And then the final one, many of our churches, our, the Summit Church was the top of this list, would send out an annual tax statement once a year, right? So the only way that your members have any clue what they've given, uh, in, unless they dug into your online website, was you know in February of the next year, mm-hmm. they got a little tax piece of paper that just said, hey, this is what you've given. Take advantage of the fact that how are you going to encourage people to give and to engage in this if they don't even know what they're doing as the year goes on? And so we've 
tried to adopt this idea of sending a quarterly giving statement to give them the practical of, hey, what is the amount that you've actually given so you know? And then let's connect it to what God is doing through your generosity. Um, and so those are just a few nuggets. There's, I mean, there's so many more I'd, I'd love to share with you through mistakes we've made and things that we've learned from other great leaders, but I hope those are a blessing to your ministry. Wow. That's good stuff, Blair. So appreciate your heart to not only serve your church, but really be a resource for other churches. And I love what you guys do. And I know you have a chance many times to connect with other churches that are connecting with you and saying, oh, guys, I, I see what you're doing. And can I get some of this from you so that I can also use it? And you guys freely give that. And that's what I love also about CSN is that there are so many churches and so many individuals that are running these ministries at their own churches that have created content that they're willing to just give you. So come be part of CSN, come get involved with some of the leadership and some of the people that are part of this organization. And you'll probably have enough resources to run the first two to three years of your ministry. Again, it's not about taking and copying somebody's stuff, but there's just a lot of good foundational teachings there that you can take and use in your own church and tweak it and make it your own. And that's what all of us really want to do is just resource you and help you to be better at uh, this calling that you have to be a stewardship leader. Well, Blair, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy, uh, but I know um, how much this means not only to me, but also to those that are listening because we're learning from each other how to do ministry better. And I think that serves the kingdom, and I think God just is pleased with that. So thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for everything that you do. And thank you for taking the time to be on the show today. It's my joy, Leo. Can't wait to see these listeners at the, at the forum here in March in Louisville. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Me too. Well, I want to thank you for joining us for the Stewardship Leader Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it. You can share it with a stewardship leader or perhaps with your executive pastor or the senior pastor of your church. If you want to know more about how CSN can help you grow in your own stewardship, connect with us. We are on all social media channels, and we'd love to get to know you and be a resource to you. You can also connect with us through our website at christianstewardshipnetwork.com, where you can find more content and resources. Our CSN annual forum is coming up in March of 2020. And if you love biblical stewardship, you don't want to miss this event. Well, thank you again for being with us. Until next time, remember, God has called you to be the best steward you can be. So be that faithful steward, but go one step further. Teach someone else to do the same.